0: You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. BBS, it's back. Got some pictures too, I think they're gonna show. We have our uh, a team in Alabama. We have a group of 15 interns and some young adults that are taking them there. And so uh, they are in Foley, uh, Pastor Joe Alderetti, he came out of Marino Valley years ago when Hurricane Katrina hit. We all went to Mississippi. We had a, uh, a work there uh, on a ball field for a year. Many of you guys and people throughout the history of our church went and served there, and so did they. And Joe fell in love with the people of the South, or he fell in love with the food of the South first. I must admit <laughs> that, and we all did. But he fell in love with the people, and he just felt God was calling him. He's a, he's a surfer like I am from SoCal, and bam, he moved to um, a coast that doesn't have a lot of waves. So I know it was a step of faith, but uh, we've kept in touch over the years. And, and Joe just went out there hardcore, just worked, started a Bible study. God's blessed it. Uh, they got a new building uh, last year. They, their new building and was just about to open up, and they got hit by a hurricane. So they called us, and we went out there. Our church went out there, and uh, we were already in uh, Louisiana with one hurricane, and then another one came in and wiped them out. So we've been staying in close fellowship with them. So we thought this year uh, the interns take one pretty big trip around the world wherever they want to go, or wherever the Lord leads them, and this is where we felt led. So would you continue to pray for them? God would use them as we help them out uh, with their building, and they're going to be doing a VBS with them. And they did a youth outreach in their area for all the kids around again. And, um, you know, for all of our churches uh, throughout America, it's a challenge to get people to come back around and to come to events. And it's, it's a challenge not so much to draw people. There's a lot of people that want to get back to being around others. But a lot of churches, are, ours is the same, our leadership base, a lot of that changed, our servant base, I should say, uh, changed. So uh, they were blessed to have, you know, I don't know how many people showed up, 25, 30 people show up just to serve there for a couple of weeks. Uh, and that, that, that's what it's all about. So, uh, Lord, we do pray for the work there in Alabama and Foley with Joe, his wife, the, the staff, the team that's there. Bless them, Lord, and may we just lift them and be a blessing to them. Keep everyone healthy and safe. And may many of those young kids that are out there that we're trying to reach come to saving faith in you. In Jesus' name. Uh, yesterday, we had a memorial service for Hugh Castro. Hugh and uh, Wendy and Jake and Jason, they, they started out with us in the early days. I remember um, Hugh and Wendy meeting at Committed Fellowship on Valley View. Um, if you don't know, that's what our name was. They tease me about that every now and then. People, when they introduce me at a, you know, where I teach, they're all, here's Lance Cook, he used to be committed, but now he's this. And I was like, <laughs> And heard that before 50 times, but uh, anyway, we were and still are committed, amen, to Jesus Christ and to my wife here and to you and all that. But uh, the the name of the church changed, but we used to be committed fellowship and outreach at Calvary Chapel. And I I I just when I met Hugh, he was just this young. We all were young. A uh, guy, he came in, he was girl crazy. I think every guy there was girl crazy. The girls were not so crazy about all the guys, but the guys were crazy about the girls. And we had to deal with a lot of that. And, and I remember he got eyes for Wendy, and he came up, I think she's just hot, you know, and beautiful, and, I, and all that, how we talked back then. And we're like, just easy, buddy, take it easy. But they they met, they fell in love, and we did their wedding, and... You know, dedicated their kids and just watched them grow up, and and then the years go by, and Hugh came down with uh, brain cancer last year, and the Lord took him home, and we were able to spend some quality time with Hugh uh, and Wendy, uh, before the Lord took him home, and he just he had this huge smile. And I just, you know, I just, I know where I'm going. I just, I'm okay with it. They're okay because they know where I'm going. Had to talk with everyone I know to make sure that they know Jesus. They'll see me again. And, and that's just such a great celebration when people walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fearing no evil because they know God is with them. And I was just like blown away. It, it, you know, just all of our past was here. It, it drew just people that we haven't seen in 15, 20 years and I was telling everybody, you know, when you're apart from people for five years and you reunite, you kind of, you, you recognize everybody. Life's been good to you. Fifteen years, it's a little bit different. Hey, who are you again? And when did we know each other? But it was great, a great reunion, a great celebration. But please continue to pray for Wendy and the boys and the rest of the family as they, you know, continue on in their journey of faith. Uh, if you see them around here, just love on them. It will be great. Well, let's turn our Bibles over to... Acts chapter 4, um, and, and I, I never really, as you know, title my messages, but last night I was looking at all this and I'm like, wow, there's like a theme here. And if I were to title this message, we just sang it. And the title would be, To Whom Do You Run? We're going to get there in a minute. But I was like, oh, that song just beat us to the punch, you know. But there was a surrender in this room when we just sang a song. And and the, the the lyrics of that song, just "I'm running to you" kind of lyrics, and you start the riches of your love, and you start thinking about that, and there was a surrender in this room. I didn't hear mead or anybody go, "Hey, everybody, stand right now." There was just a, there was something about the relationship we have with God, with Jesus, with God, that. At a certain point, when we all thought about him the same way, there was a united response in this room. I just want you to think about that. To whom do you run? We are continuing in chapter 4, verse 21-ish, if you can make your way there, of the book of Acts. And Peter and John in the temple, they had just shared the gospel with the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, for you that... Haven't been following these act studies, just to kind of give you the background. I think it's important. Um, that's the Jewish, the Supreme Court of Judaism. Seventy men, all on their game, brilliant men. These were men that when you saw walking through the community, you you stopped and you paid respect. That's just what they expected, and that's what you did. They were feared. This would have been the group that came together and and decided that Jesus needed to die. This would have been a group that had enough authority to go to the head of the Roman leader of the empire that you lived in, the Roman leader in your area, your jurisdiction. And their influence was so, so much that Pilate himself was like, ah, i got to do something about what they want. They, of course, were the ones, the instigators, that trumped up the, the, all the trumped up charges against Jesus. And all of what they were trying to do was accomplished because they had the power, not the right, but the power to see someone put to death. They influenced the Roman leader to where he would crucify an innocent man. Peter and John now find themselves in front of that same council. And it would have been very intimidating. They were only there because as they were going to the temple, you remember, there was a miracle that was produced through them. There was a man that was at the gate, beautiful, that led up to the temple area. He was lame since birth. He asked them for money. They're like, we're broke. We're not going to don't have any of that to give. You know, shekels in our pockets. But what we do have, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he did. A guy who was never walked is now completely, supernaturally, everything that he would need in his body and his legs, from the ligaments to the muscles to the joints, and all, instantly made whole, standing there, jumping up and down, praising God. We know that there would have been more than hundreds of people because 2,000 people would come to know the Lord there in that temple area. So thousands of people around the temple saw all of this. They go inside the temple. The man's hanging on to Peter and John. People, of course, outside had already tried to give the credit of the miracle to Peter and John. Peter used that opportunity to go, no, 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 we're just two average Joes that fish. Okay? We didn't do this. It's... Faith in Jesus. Jesus. And then he, he just right from the heart, no notes, no, no iPad, no just you, you know, the one that you guys just put to death, and then brought scriptural reference to who Jesus is as the Messiah. Tied all of that together, and then they go inside, and the same thing begins to happen with this the leaders of the temple. They're in the temple. Peter's going to preach the same message about Jesus, case in point, to Scripture, in the temple. And as should be the case. When someone comes into a room like this and begins to preach something contrary to what we believe, you're going to have some leadership that are going to do something about that. And so the the captain of the guards and all those priests around there that that were working the temple that day, they, they laid hands on them, put them away. Thinking that that would put the message and the impact and the influence of their message away. But it didn't. It says 2,000 people were saved. 2,000 people heard what they believed, and now we're part of the church. But the next day, they bring them back. Now they're before the council, and they're like, the question is, by what authority are you you even saying these things? They questioned them. And again, I said, when I read it, I go, be careful, be careful, because if you ask that guy, he is just going to talk Jesus, and he did. And it put them in a very, very difficult place, the Sanhedrin. It put them in a difficult place because a miracle had really taken place. And in front of the whole town, it says that all of Jerusalem knew about this. By the next day, if you lived anywhere around Jerusalem, you knew that the lame man at the gate was now healed. And you also knew that the guys who were used to perform the miracle said it was this Jesus who healed him, the one that we had crucified just a few weeks ago. That he's alive, that he is God, that he is, they were saying, the promised Messiah that all these scriptures pointed to, and it's by putting faith in him. So the idea would be that the God who parted the Red Seas and does these amazing miracles is still at work through his son, who's raised from the dead. That's the buzz around town. So as they hear Peter and John, they like... (laughs) Get out of here for a few minutes. And they, they confer among themselves. Like go, we got a problem. And the problem was that the guy really was healed. And now you have a whole bunch of people who believe in what Peter and John were saying was the source of the healing. And so that momentum of the gospel changing lives is now visible. They're seeing this. They're watching this. We've got an issue. All of Jerusalem's talking about it. We can't beat these guys. They didn't do anything wrong. They even came here and knew their scriptures. And you know what else they did? They respected them. Peter and John didn't get all crazed out, as we're going to read a little bit today. They didn't get all crazed out start name-calling and, and, and getting all angry and how dare you and, 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 and threaten them. And but no, they just were very respectful. They appealed to the word of God. They wanted them to know, look, this is, they appealed to the word of God and they appealed to, this, to the son of God. And this was on display for everybody to see. So if the Sanhedrin would have like, locked them up or beat them or, or even worse, had them put to death or started a trial to have them put to death, went to Rome, that would have been a big issue. So they have a problem here. Many, it says, of those who heard the word believed. And as Peter was talking, I think it's important to note again, he was, something was happening that was beyond his human ability. If you've ever shared your faith and you felt the Holy Spirit come upon you and all of a sudden you're saying things that you are like, I've never connected these dots together in my mind. I've never connected these dots together in a conversation. I've never connected these dots together in notes. But man, are these dots connecting? That was Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was case in pointing Scripture, filled with the Holy Spirit. All of this began, I believe. From the time they saw Jesus raised from the dead, their focus on him, their focus on themselves, their focus on others, and their focus on life changed. And when Jesus said, during those 40 days, it's about the kingdom that resonated in their hearts. When Jesus told them to tarry and wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, they were all ears and all feet. They stayed there. They tarried. When the Holy Spirit came, they were part of that. They are now familiar with the Spirit coming upon them and walking in sync with the Spirit, obedient to Jesus, giving honor to the Father, walking in sync by the Spirit. We've been using the phrase, where the Spirit reigns. This is what it looks like. The Spirit was reigning in their heart. So then they're called back into the courtroom in verse 17 and 18, and they're severely threatened. Church, know the world you woke up in today. Severely threatened, and they were just commanded, as many of us might be in our workplace, in our the public place, in the schools, in whatever godless environment. That's consumed by the narrative of a godless world. They're like, do not bring your Jesus up. Do not bring your Jesus into this conversation, into this workplace. They were severely threatened by the very men who just put their rabbi to death. And they were commanded not to speak at all or to teach in his name. The question. What do you do? What do you do when the government says something contrary to what God says? Do you remember the Great Commission? The disciples? They would have just, oh man, Jesus told us to go out into all of the world and preach him to every nation, to make disciples, to follow him. And he said that he would be with us always. So so I have the word of God commanding me to preach. The, the, The very word of Jesus was, go and tell people about me. Preach in my name. In my name, these things are going to happen. You'll cast out demons. People are going to be healed. In my name. That's a way of saying, in my authority, with my authority, with my power, with my assistance. So we're no different. If you're a Christian here today, the Great Commission is our commission. It is not the Great Suggestion. It is the Great Commission. And how many of us have backed off when someone says, no, not here, not now. And you've been greatly threatened. Maybe the job, a relationship, a family thing. You see, we might even say church history would have been set on a different course if in that meeting before the Sanhedrin, they would have caved into fear rather than stood up as men of faith. There might have been a whole different course for church history. No, no, no. These guys were filled with the Spirit where the Spirit reigns. There's respect. There's the Spirit working through their lives. There is the ability to bring a biblical perspective where it is needed to the circumstances that I'm going through. There was confidence that God was with them. There was a continued obedience to be what Jesus had saved them to be. There was a continued obedience to do what Jesus had called them to do. Commanded to stop preaching. Bless that little guy. Something Jesus required, listen, was something that Jesus was doing. Doing through them. Amen? Something about being filled with the Spirit where you're just not intimidated by threats. Something about the spirit where there's this resolve, this determination to remain faithful to what you believe and what you're called to be, what you're called to do. They showed respect to their leaders by appealing to a higher court and asking the question as they were before them in verse 19. Let's look at this again. Guys, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. It was respectful. You, you, you guys can judge among yourselves. We, I'm not going to challenge you here. You judge among yourselves whether we should listen to man over God. But just understand, we can't do that. We must obey God's commands over man. Now, some might question the apostles not obeying the governing body of the Jewish religion. That's authority that God has over you, they might say. And they should have just listened to that. The Bible does teach that believers are to obey their governments and those that are in authority. Peter himself would later write about that in great detail in his first epistle, 1 Peter two thirteen through 17. Paul would write about the same thing in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. But the reaction here, the response here, of Peter and John marks the limits of that obedience. They would gladly obey if they could do whatever they were being asked to do without disobeying God. God's commands conflict with those of the government, the government must be disobeyed I could have said that in a nicer way but I wrote it that way there is division in our world today that we've probably not seen in our lifetime and that division hasn't faded with a worldwide epidemic fading at least in our area The divisiveness from lawlessness, political indifferences, views on the 15 major topics that are the downline of COVID. It's divided our world. Right now, our world is divided over a pandemic. And that divisive behavior walks into buildings like this. That divisive mindset has affected a church like ours to where more than half of us are no longer meeting in this building, watching online maybe, or just stop going to church altogether. A worldwide pandemic that should have had us all run to Jesus. Where do you run? When we run to Jesus, we're not divided, we're united, by the way. But we're living in a world where we have seen a lot of really smart people. People that we have lived life with. We know them. They know us. They're Christians, some of them. And we've watched their their life change, radically change. They have completely fallen in line with this order, this injunction, this command. And I'm not here to get political. I'm not here to, today I don't, I'm just trying to give application. I think it's important. And there comes a time, even within the church, we've, we've become the church through 2020 that continued to stay open and do funerals for the people that were suffering. You guys know that. Our staff made a decision, we will go to anyone's house, we will go to any hospital. We're not being reckless here. We, God put it in our heart. They're sick, they're sick. We're going to go and pray for them. We're going to anoint them with oil if they want to come here. We were, we were open armed. Did we get sick? Yeah, we got sick. We're still here, though. There was a higher calling. You see, when Jesus, 40 days on this earth, He he talked more about the kingdom of God than anything else. The, The world and all of what the world would throw at the disciples, the early church leaders, he knew that. But they had to have a higher calling, they had to have a higher focus. They would be facing the same opponents he did. They would have to have a higher focus. That's why Jesus was able to remain faithful to his mission a higher calling, a higher focus. Read about his mission in John chapter 17. Just read it. You're like, whoa. It's all about the Father and what he sent him here to do. And the moment that we get caught up in the minutiae of this world, and the minutiae of this world, the, just the, the, the issues of this world, the circumstances of this world begin to, to form our identity. And they begin to define us rather than refine us. Now we're in trouble. And the next thing you know, the lines begin to blur. God's word over man's word. God's authority over man's authority. And the next thing you know, you can't tell the difference between the church and the world. And so you have the body of Christ today who should be coming together like never before today humbled and yielded to the supreme authority of our God and what the groom has to say for his bride. If there's anybody who's jealous for the church, it's Jesus, the groom. If there's anybody who wants the best for the church, it's the groom for his bride. And yet we see churches just dividing over their views of a pandemic. They're dividing over, well, the government said this, or the government said that, or the CDC said. And and there's division in the church. And I'm not here to, to even give one side or the other. All I'm here to say is when man's word begins to supersede God's word, you will see division. But where God's word supersedes man, you will see unity. You'll see unity. So where do you run? So when they had further threatened them, in verse 21, that was my introduction, by the way. (laughs) They let them go. Finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorify God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing had been performed. Jesus would tell these guys, man, just let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's what just happened. Let him go. In the midst of opposition... Serious, intense threats. They remained obedient to God, respectful to the authority. Later on, Peter would write in 1 Peter 3 13 through 15, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you're blessed. Don't be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord. Let the Lord be everything. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Listen. With meekness and fear. That's the attitude of Christ. 23 is the next verse here. And being let go... They went to their own companions. Where do you run? And they reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David had said, why did the nations rage? And the people plot vain things. The kings of the earth took their stand. And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. After they're released, they run to their companions, compadres, hermanos, hermanas. Obviously, obviously as Christians, we we should regularly run to the Lord. Amen? Amen. But we also have, every one of us have, I, I, I thought about this, a base camp of friends or relatives or both that we commonly run to. And if you don't, you should have. But the question is, to whom is that camp? When you run to that camp, who are they? Peter and John had a base camp. They had a base, a group that they identify as their own companions. And I thought this was interesting. I spent some time looking at this and I looked at this Greek word companion because I, I have my idea of what a companion is in Lori and my family and the friendship and the base of people that I run to. But here I thought it was interesting. The Greek word means one that is closely connected with something similar. That's what it means. This group would have been some if not all, of the original group that met in the upper room in Pentecost. That group, unique to all other groups, if you asked any of them, what was that like for 10 days to gather and have a prayer meeting? They would have said, it was insane. It was just, Jesus told us to tarry, and I don't know, there was about 120 of us, and you know, the disciples were there. Judas, of course, was he's dead, but... The mother of Jesus was there. Some of the women that used to hang on around. Just a, but, but, but boy, did we click for 10 days. But then we were like melted together as one. When the, the spirit of God, as Jesus said, the promise of the Father would be poured. Whew, man, we began to speak in tongues. I looked around the room and they were like these cloven tongues of fire on the head of people. Even on me. And there's a sound. I mean, you see, we went through something Together, where there was the obvious manifestation of the supernatural. God was doing something that confirmed in his word. We, we all were obediently there and experienced God in a very unique way. And we've just, well, we've never been the same. It's never been the same. Now, there might have been. Countless other people that encountered Jesus over three and a half years that might have even been in Jerusalem, you know, for the, the, the week before his crucifixion, during the crucifixion, after the crucifixion. But they just, they, they maybe even heard, you know, hey, wait and tarry. But a lot of them went back home at Pentecost. But, but, but these, we know that in Jerusalem alone, over 500 in some settings saw Jesus raised from the dead. But there's 120 that were like, yeah, we're going to hang out. And I believe as we, we go through the book of Acts, there's a strong argument to say this, this particular group that Peter and John would have ran back to would have been that group that they were from. To whom do you run? What similar thing were they all closely connected with? If that's what the word companion means, Jesus. What a great base camp to run to. What a great group of companions. A group of companions that would celebrate Peter and John's being used by Jesus and sharing Jesus. You got that group? Does that... Define partially the group that you run to? Peter and John were able to confidently bear their souls to this group about how they were opposed, sharing again all that the chief priest and elders had said to them. Can you say that about the group you run to? You can just confidently bear your soul about the challenges and the crisis and the opposition that you might be facing in life? Are they the kind of people that you would want to bear your soul to? This group was. After Peter and John shared how they were opposed, the group turned to God and began to praise God. They raised their voices to God with one accord, the group that you run to. Are they the kind of people? Praise God. They worship God. That are like in one accord when it comes to God. They were a group that held an unwavering conviction in and about who God is as the creator and the sovereign over all. Lord, you are God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Does that mark the group that you run to? They just have this confidence in God as creator and God as sovereign over all, over everything to, to where it just gives them complete confidence that God is in control of all of the circumstances. So no matter what news you bring to them, they're like, God, they turn to him, they worship him, they praise him, they thank God because they know him so well That he is absolutely in control of whatever bad news, good news, or in between you bring to them. Does that mark the group you run to? They were a biblical group that knew God's word. And turned to God's word as a point of reference for the challenges that they faced in life. Verse 25. They quoted a psalm here. Who by the mouth of your servant David had said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? you quoting Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. Part of that psalm had to do with what they were experiencing before them. It was the Holy Spirit speaking through David. They knew about that and it spoke of the opposition that Christ and their followers would face. And so as they came to the group, they're praising God. And that scripture, which case in points, brings a perspective from the word of God as to what is going on with your circumstances, how we need those people in our life. They were also a group that was confident in the Lord's return because part of that same passage in, in that psalm talks about the Lord's second coming. The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Many scholars in that day believed, oh, that is a reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. They realized that they had witnessed the initial fulfillment of that, that, that prophecy as the opposition that it spoke about was happening. But the second part of that prophecy, they're just all excited, oh, he's the one that's returning for us. Does that mark the group that... You know, you you run to, you run to them, you tell them whatever you tell them. They're like praising God. They give you scriptural reference like, oh, Maranatha, come, Lord, just come on. Come take us out of here. They were also a group that was confident in the mission of Jesus. For truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you've anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Many of these group that they ran to, their base camp that they ran to, including Peter and John themselves, had personally witnessed the opposition against Jesus and his mission. That included Herod and Pontius Pilate. It would have been the, 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 the chief priest, Caiaphas and Annas. The Romans that spat on him and and crucified him and all of the people there in Jerusalem, the Jews that were hailing horrible words against him and just crucify him, crucify him, all, all of that. They would have seen all of that. But they realized this was all part of Jesus' mission. That the opposition that he faced was part of his mission. And as followers... They looked at the opposition, and they connected those dots. This, is, this life is just all part of Jesus' mission. We're part of that. We're his followers. We said that when we started the book of Acts, we're coming out of the Gospels. The Gospels give us what Jesus did in his physical body. The book of Acts gives us what Jesus continues to do in his spiritual body, the church. We're just confident in the mission of Jesus. We're all in. Does that mark the group that you run into? Verse 29, now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and the signs and the wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. It wasn't just Peter and John who understood who Jesus was and how to tap into the authority and the strength and the power. No, this this whole group, had a really sound view of who Jesus was. He had a strong conviction as to his strength, his might, his power, his ability. All of that is entrusted to us, invested in us as we humbly submit ourselves to him. We place ourselves under his authority. That's what it means to do anything in the name of Jesus. This is an amazing prayer. It was a prayer, though, that was born out of witness and service for the Lord. Peter and John had just come in from the trenches, man. It was a prayer filled with a sense of urgency. Why? Because the faith of the early church regularly led them into very trying, difficult, dangerous circumstances. This does something to your prayer life. It creates an urgency. It was a united prayer. There was unity in their prayer. They lifted up their voices to God with one accord. The people were of one heart and one mind. And God was pleased, obviously, to answer their request, as we will see. Division in the church always hinders prayer and robs the church of spiritual power and derails the church off of the mission of Christ. It was a prayer, though, that was submitted to the word of God. We saw that, a prayer that was submitted to the will of God. They didn't pray to have their circumstances changed or that their enemies would be put out of office. They just asked God to empower them, to make them strong, to make them the best. Just use the circumstances, God. Use us to accomplish what you have determined. great author by the name of Philip Brooks, he writes, and I quote, Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal equal to your tasks. That's the way the early church prayed. That's how we should pray. It was a faith-filled prayer. It was a prayer that depended on God and his power. It wasn't a prayer where they're asking God to send down fire and destroy their enemy. It was a prayer that asked for more power for themselves we want more power to continue preaching your word boldly. Fervent, believing prayer releases God's power, enables God's hand to move. And Finally, they just wanted to glorify God. God's child, God's son, his servant, Jesus. It was his name that gave them power to minister the miracle, to minister the word, and it's his name alone that deserves the glory. The glory of God, not the deeds of men. That's the highest purpose of answered prayer. Lori and I were so honored to See some of our friends that we haven't seen for years. people move away and they they grow apart and 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 this morning we were just you know just celebrating the conversations we had and good to see these you know we did there's a lot of people here at this memorial service for hugh and and we both recognized one thing that here we've been doing this for like you know thirty years and 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 we didn't kind of finish the conversation, but we were talking about the different comments that people said. And some of them were like, you're, you're still here. You're still at it. I go, yes, I'm 61, not 81. <laughs> but the other part of that was, you're still at it. And that we want to thank you for because a lot are not. You understand that? And when we would talk about that, we're like, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. That's why we're still at it in marriage. Not at each other, at it. <laughs> right? Put the thumb up. You did. Okay, that's good. A little higher in the second service, that'd be. We're still at it. We're still at it. My, my, my daughters call me and, 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 hey, how you doing? They check up on me. We're still at it. Call them. Love you. My first, when Kendra comes around, now, my first thing is, is how's Ezra? And you know what the Lord put in my heart? You, you make her feel more special than him. It's so the Lord put in oh, she. I, didn't, I hope she didn't hear that. Don't tell her. Shh. You follow me? We're still at it. I'm still daddy. This is... I walked into this room and I saw some people. I've been praying for people, talking to different people. I could barely make it through here, touching shoulders, seeing people. And I sat down and I I just started crying. I just started crying. And I just thanked the Lord. I sat there and I just said, thank you. Thank you for this group. Thank you. What what an honor. there's, There's just so many gifted people in the world that could stand up in front of this group that loves you. You've given me another day. So many people that know your word so much better than I do. You've given me this opportunity. It's just, it's such an honor. An honor to God. It's God. To whom do you run to? Hopefully you run to people that aren't filled with themselves. Trying to bring glory to themselves. Even as Christians. Christians. They're bringing glory to God. It's just obvious. That's where he works. That's where you see his power on display. Let's read it. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, that group that Peter and John ran to, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God. church had very successfully faced its initial trial of opposition. Instead of succumbing to the temptation of compromise, it became even bolder. Hmm. The same persecution that drew them to the Lord, which unleashed more power And more boldness. The same situation. Drew them to one another. To whom do you run? In what will become a reoccurring theme. Throughout the book of Acts. And throughout church history. Opposition over and over and over and over. Only makes the church stronger. That's one of the reasons I had a hard time with the faith and prosperity movement, by the way. If you don't know what that is, good. It's just a a twisting of scriptures that basically, I believe, if you understood what they were saying, is God is entitled to bless you and prosper you and keep you healthy. He's obligated to do that. So you name it and claim it, you blab it and grab it kind of thing. That was twenty some odd years ago but then they they, they, they these things always get re wrapped and then it's more of just this real positive thing where we're only saying very positive things i'm not going to mention names or churches but it's just a positive we don't mention anything negative we're not even going to call you sinners when we sing amazing grace, we're not going to say that saved a wretch like me. We're going to change the word to that saves someone like me. We don't want to offend you because then you might not come back. I don't know how you share the gospel with someone without someone getting a little bit upset the fact that they are a sinner in need of a savior. But we have been called to fulfill the mission of Christ. And it is a mission designed. The architect is God. The plan of redemption, it's His. You might not like it, but that plan, that mission, here's your orders, here's the the, the GPS coordinates, you go this way, it is going to have obstacles. It is going to have everything On that path that you need to be refined. Everything on that path that you and I need to challenge our faith and to sharpen our faith. Everything on that path that we will need to turn us back to the one whose mission it is. And the moment that we begin to minimize that and say that we have a hall pass on that... And that we don't even like that. We have a different view of God's mission than his son. Because he's on the same mission. His mission led him to a cross. But he continues the mission through you and I. And it's just going to be a mission in a world that hates him. And opposes him. It's just part of it. But as we walk through that together. To whom do you run? If you are isolated, you've already been picked off by the enemy. If you don't have this kind of a group that you can run to, that you do run to, you've already been picked off by the enemy. You've already bought into something that has pulled you apart from the very core people that Jesus wants to unite you to. The question is, are you okay with that? Because the church that Jesus Christ bought... The one that he continues to empower in 2021 is a group of people that he unites. That he calls to himself, draws to himself and to one another. They were of one heart and they were of one mind. Those two words... The heart, it speaks of the seabed of the real you, the real me. It's not talking about your muscle, the heart. It's talking about who you are, your personality. I'm going to share my heart with Lori. I'm going to share Lance. I'm going to share who I am, the, the deepest part of who I am that God comes into my heart when he saves me. It's where God and me become intimate. My heart. They were one in heart. They were one in soul as well. You know what that speaks of? The mind. It speaks of the mind. They, 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 They just began to think very similar. That's... Spiritual unity. That's the body of Christ, bride of Christ, unity. Same heart, same mind. That's why when you travel around, you bump into a, a sincere, real Christian, a true believing Christian. It's like you've known him forever. A trippy thing. It's not uniformity. Uniformity is when man takes a hold of what God. Has done uniquely in unifying the church, and he tries to make it something else. So all of a sudden, hair length needs to look this way, dress lengths need to look this way. We dress this way, we talk this way, we act this way, and all of a sudden, there's uniformity. Understand that the church is a living organism. How is it alive? What is the source of its life? Jesus. It's it's not a man. It's the God-man, Jesus. And that organism is alive and is a living organism that has evolved over 2,000 years. It's alive today. You understand that? And everything that God does, I just teach this a lot, but I just taught it in a funeral. He does it with a purpose in mind. So he births this organism, which if you're born again here today, you're part of that organism, he births it. And he has left his Holy Spirit here to organize it. If you took an organism and it had no, it had no order to it, it wouldn't continue to be. It needs order. And the Holy Spirit was left to bring order to the church. And the second that a man begins to grab a hold of that, we got issues. So this is one of the more rare, like we're still in chapter four. Will you ever finish chapter four, Lance? Yes, I think I will. More verses to be have? I'll just read them. But we get into chapter five, and you'll see a change. And the question is, Talk about the spirit reigning. Is the spirit reigning in my life? Is the spirit the one that's bringing order to my life? And, and I have to ask that about the church. Someone during the COVID like comeback thing, people checking out churches and everything. And these people came here and said, yeah, we, we, we're not sure we're going to hang here. It's pretty loose. I'm like, Okay. I'm not sure what to think about that. And the guy looks at me and he's like, yeah, yeah, I looked at this, I looked at that. And I've had several people tell me this. They do Yelp on our church. You know, they they Yelp our church. I don't know what that is. That's a search and tells you what our church is like. And they, they all say the same thing. They say, it says it's a cool church, but the guy wears shorts that teaches. So... I'm not sure how that happened. I don't know know if we could maybe change that somehow and say, hey, it's a Jesus centered church. Take it away from my legs are good looking, but you know, let's take the glory and put it on God, not Lance's legs. I don't know how we could fix that. But there's so many people that are convinced by the way they've been brought up in the church that uniformity is more important. You understand? Isn't it great that you come in here and we don't measure your hair length or something? It? I mean, that's just one example. Wait a minute, dude. You're a little over the years. Yeah, go cut that. Come on back. How many of you are glad that you didn't have to clean up your act to come to God? All right. So I'm not pushing, I'm not pushing like, don't abuse the grace, okay? <laughs> Let's all stand. I'm not pushing that. Let me finish this here real fast here. Ah, there's a lot of good stuff left here. Maybe we'll finish this Wednesday night. Come on out Wednesday night, we'll finish it. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for what what we took from the feeding trough of your word today. Thank you for such a well-balanced diet. Thank you for salvation in the season. Thank you for those you've brought back around, those that would still watch online. Thank you for those that have brought their children back here. And worked through what they've had to work through to do that. Thank you for those that have came to a place of saying, I wanna use my gifts they're serving us, serving you in this season. Thank you, Lord. We would not be able to be without no servants. Thank you for the generosity of this church, the love. Thank you for the genuineness of faith and people. Thank you for this group that we can run to as a group that runs to Jesus. We love you. And... Um, give you our life over and over and over, man. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Have a wonderful day.